Hey y'all, it's me Jade, and this is the final episode of On The Way's bonus season. We did it! You know, I'm taking some time to reflect as I sit here recording this intro in the wee hours of New Year's Eve, and I would like to say that I'm very proud of the work that I've done for On The Way and WGC as a whole. And I'm very proud of the work that all 15 of my guests from the first season and the bonus season have put in this year, and most importantly, I'm proud of the kindness with which they've decided to treat themselves. It's been a tough year, 2020, but look at us. We're here. And what a beautiful thing that is. Before I move on, I want you to know that season two starts on February 19th, 2021, so mark your calendars. Okay, the final bonus episode of On Their Way, season one, is here, so buckle in and remember this is a WGC production. China Palmer is a DMV artist and recent Howard grad. You may have seen her grace the stage in Fairview at Woolly Mammoth Theater Company, or virtually in Roundhouse's Homebound series. Securing her passion in a middle school musical, China now finds her way onto stages, sets, writers' rooms, and beyond, continuing to explore through every door with her name on it. Hey, China, how you doing? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> <What>? Okay. <laughs> how are you? I can't help but laugh when I see or hear you. I can't. Oh, thank you. Me. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Oh, no, no, but like, so. oh, I'm, good. <laughs> I'm good that you're doing good. Okay. So I'm going to uh, start this off with the first question I ask everybody. Where are you from and where are your roots? I'm from, well, I was born in Newark, New Jersey, but grew up most of my life in Virginia Beach, Virginia. 757, what's up? And <laughs> my roots are um, all over. I mean, in terms of my family, they are here in the States as far back as I know. But I do believe I may be from the islands. I took a trip to Anguilla and felt like, wow, this is home. Yep. Mm-hmm. This is my essence right here. But then I also went to South Africa and felt like, wow, okay, yep, this is home. This is my essence. So I guess like most of us from from everywhere. All right. Okay, diaspora power. Um, <laughs> come on. And could you tell us in your own words what it is that you do? I act and I dance and I sing and I talk and I write and I give advice, and I started cooking. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, all of those things. I do uh, service. Anyway, service. I can serve. Yeah, that's a good encapsulation, I believe. I like to think that I'm just a vessel so that, you know, wherever I'm needed, however I'm needed, I will find a way to satisfy and fulfill the role you know i do know that's interesting we're going to come back to that um but before we go back to that uh in your bio it said that you secured your passion in a middle school musical could you tell us about how you um about what happened in that musical that made you realize that you wanted to be uh an actor and a vessel in that way (laughs) it was annie and yeah i played miss hannigan And (laughs) she was so far beyond my personality type and who I was. And I felt like I was able to trick people. 
I remember being on stage and feeling just like a beam of light that was on me and that was coming through me. And it was incredible. And coming off the stage and talking to parents um, afterwards, they would run over to me like, you are amazing. You need to be acting. Da, 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 da. And then they would be so surprised that I was, you know, as nice as I was. And a lot of students too would, I just remember saying that, like, China, oh, you play that role so well. You're so mean. Oh, I can't believe it. And <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was, um, was such a moment for me to realize, like, wow, I can be this other person and it feels so good. Why not? From there, I ended up applying to a, a more performance focused academy high school for acting and singing and man the journey won't stop hmm. the journey won't stop so let's take a let's take a couple of looks at where the journey has led so firstly one thing that i want to talk about is a performance that i got uh to see you in uh what in what is now like almost a year ago almost two years ago uh it was in 2019 it was fairview at woolly mammoth theater company uh, you were fantastic. Oh, did I see Fairview? Yes, China. You were so good. Okay, so you. Okay, so the audience. Yeah. No, you were really great. Um, had me laughing. Like had me tearing up. It was great. Um, but so for our audience, uh, you played Keisha, who was one of the central characters of Fairview. She was the daughter of the family, and um. How how would you describe Fairview exactly in your words? How would you describe the plot? It is, <laughs> this was always like the most difficult thing to do, especially for this type of show. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, what you think coming in is a average middle-class black family with Keisha being your rather typical high school student on the track team and um, involved with choir and you know and all of the extracurriculars on this journey to being this black excellence that she comes from a lineage of you know her mother going Mm -hmm. to college and her grandmother going to college just going to college and being well off as they are and you see this household start to uh, shake a bit around their grandmother's or my grandmother's birthday dinner and the pressures that come along with really satisfying and receiving acceptance from the matriarch of this family. And uh, through the second half of it, you see how we are perceived by uh, our take on it were neighbors who were sort of peeking in on this world and on this story and lifeline here. And to hear the perception from these white men and women, some foreign, there was a one woman who was, um, where is she from? I think we went to school. She was like from Eastern Europe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so we get to hear their perspective on how they see these black bodies moving through the space and how they relate to one another and, you know, how they basically are living their lives and, the amazing thing about watching that play oh i didn't even get to the <laughs> to the big now, <laughs> right <laughs> uh-huh. so we hear them narrate over what's happening 
as they're watching this whole time, right? And they're having conversations about, you know, what race they would be and why they would be that race. And they say the most absurd things, you know, to me, of course. But Mm -hmm. um, as these two worlds merge, come the third act, uh, they bring their perceptions of us to life by actually enacting uh, what they see and who they would have wanted to be in that race, you know? So uh, (laughs) it's a parody (laughs) of sorts, but it's satirical in that it's true and really disturbing. And it's funny at first glance at seeing how these people come in and what they think being Black is mm-hmm. and how they see it and how outrageous it is. And it turns into a point of actual danger. And in the same way that perception is really critical, uh, we see it come to life as they destroy this grandmother's birthday and this beautiful family gathering. And that is Keisha, the youth of the family, the only one with the insight as to what's happening here. Uh, couldn't allow it to happen anymore. Yes. And in the end of the play, you give this really bombastic speech, which ends with like a powerful line of like, wouldn't it be nice if everything was fair? And then you storm off and then the show ends and it's a moment. But one thing mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about was, so in this particular production of Fairview, after the show, the audience was split up into groups and um, you joined us for one. Uh, the Black people were split up into their own group to talk about their feelings about the show afterwards. And one thing that I remember you saying was, uh, to some effect, that it was somewhat of a, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, of course, it was almost a year ago after all, but that it was kind of an emotional show just because it had so much weight around it. Uh, am I correct? Mm-hmm. Am I remembering Absolutely. correctly? Absolutely. So can you tell us about, um, with such a, sh- with a show that deals so heavily with, um, with like racism and sort of the parts that like we don't really talk about in our day-to-day life, because like why talk about it? It's, it's so much all the time. Can you tell us about what that process was like just living in that for, for, months on a, for months on a time? Oh, yeah. And one of the things about the show too, even beyond the race, was the factor of surveillance. That was the main thing that really shook me. Um, mm-hmm just being under this watchful eye of the white gaze, it, it it was disturbing and the most troubling part of it. But um, yeah, so much of what we talked about in the play is uh, not new to me, mm-hmm. at least in my experience. And in um, working on it, I'm so, Oh my gosh, so blessed to be at Woolly Mammoth doing this show because they are incredible at support, supporting their artists and supporting stories and topics like this. And I had an amazing director, C. Walker Webb, and incredible castmates who were so very seasoned and um, empathetic and truly willing to listen and understand what, how difficult this may have been a show for um, us people of color, Black people on stage. And there was a space in working on it where 
if I did feel uncomfortable about something, that would not be an issue to stop and let's talk about it. It was encouraged. We had many days where we would just sit and talk about the shit, really. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple days in particular that were, you know, more troubling than the others. I remember one, I came in early or I was outside. I was down the street actually by the, uh, what's that big center down there with the McDonald's and movie theater? Oh, the, the one they play hockey? Yeah, I think it's the Verizon? Yeah, the Verizon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. I was out in front of the um, the museum though on the steps and they had a bunch of food trucks out there and I was just going yeah. through my script and next to me was this big class, I guess from out of town full of younger white kids and there was a young black man that came up stumbling a bit uh it was a hot day he had on a black hoodie and I remember looking at him like damn I know he hot and next thing I know he passed out right there on the sidewalk and sort of tumbled into the gutter and of course I rushed over um, grab some people from the food truck to get some water and call the police. They're never far by in that area. So mm-hmm. they came rather quickly. But as I looked up, there were only black people surrounding trying to help this man. And as I looked back, this class of white kids and their teachers were just gawking at the whole situation. Didn't inch a bit to try and help or to call anyone or do anything. They were just surveying the whole situation. And it brought into perspective completely what we were doing in this show. And I remember walking back really dazed by it. Like, what just happened? And I walked into rehearsal, you know, trying to put in uh, the game face again because you got to go into work now you don't bring mm-hmm. that in here but luckily I have a wonderful position in the line of work I'm in where I can bring this shit in and it helps completely so as we started at least in a bit with my director and stretching and warming up he just sensed that something wasn't right and we took a step out and I completely broke down about it Uh, again the weight of the show and the impact not just on the stage and in the theater but seeing the shit reflected out in real life and in that moment and in this small bit of time seeing just how the pieces connected so sharply it it was uh really troubling in the moment but it gave a great drive to what I was doing in this show and what I was bringing forth for these people who have a perspective that isn't um, as couth or as empathetic or um, ignorant. A lot of it is ignorance, you know? And a lot of what I dealt with around that show in terms of the weight wasn't with as much um, my role as this young black girl but 
a lot of it was taking on these white people shit. I have to say, so many coming up to me <laughs> with stories of either guilt or I'm so sorry, this must be so difficult for you. And, uh, you know, I I can accept that sympathy, but the show was not for me. Mm-hmm. And as I uh, tailored, and as we decided to tailor really that final monologue as much as we could to the people of color, if you were in the theater, you know, um, I asked the white people to, oh, is this a spoiler? Can I? We're just talking about it now, just right? Say, just say spoiler. <laughs> this is a spoiler for the end of family if you see it. Yeah. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, at the end in my monologue, I ask all the people who identify as white to get on stage and it leaves, well, you know, in a handful of nights, mm-hmm. it leaves the people of color or the black people left in the audience for me to give this small tiny bit of story to and share space with and um, the reflection of that outside of you know the directness of the monologue is to look at for these white people how how uh, how slim this experience is and how blessed and eager one should be to allow this space for these people of color. And so I say in that final monologue, it is for the people of color, but the show in its entirety, I don't believe is. I think most of the takeaways from that um, were directed to the white people, to be quite honest. See, that's... Yeah, to uh, to be frank, uh, Fairview was studied in one of my classes last semester, playwriting classes, and we also talked about how we felt that Fairview wasn't necessarily for Black people or non-white people in general because it had messages that we'd already known and it would only really mm-hmm. seem new to people who didn't have to live the experience. And right. so it's interesting that you also picked up on it. But I want to ask then, have you ever been in a show that you felt was written for Black people? And if so... Uh, what was your, how was your process different for for uh, filling out your character in that show? That was written for black for like a black people. audience, yeah. Ooh, I did in the red and brown water. At- you know, that's the ch- yeah. Go ahead, oh. go ahead. <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> I was going to say, I've seen, uh, when you did that production, I saw nearly um, every production that was put on of that show. Yeah. I still have my notes from it. Yeah. Jane! <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Thank oh, you. thanks, China. I love you, too. I love your work. <laughs> but go ahead. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, no. In the Red and Brown Water uh, felt like, well, I've really been blessed with a lot of my roles now, feeling like... um. I at least didn't have to adapt myself too far, but Terrell and his work in that show in particular has a cast of all black young people in a space where uh, you can't help but to relate if you black. And sure there are takeaways of it that are universal as any good writer would do. And Terrell absolutely is an amazing writer, but it is a show about and for Black people, I believe. 
I I dig that. I think it I think it is as well. Um, one question that I on the same track, but one question I do want to ask is: as a young up and coming black actress in the DC theater world, how do you advocate for yourself, especially since uh, theater isn't necessarily um, always made with black people in mind, as we've seen from like this past year in the history of theater. So how do you advocate for yourself, do you say? Look, I walk in and I'm black. Ain't no getting around that. Ain't no conversation or question to be had about it. Okay. So um, what's the question directed towards in terms of um, like equality or? Well, so when I talk to my uh, my other acting friends or things like that, sometimes they can feel um, not necessarily intimidated, but like they don't know what to ask for. They don't know what to ask. So like, how do you go about learning the things that you hadn't necessarily not been taught? But do you know like how, how some people, just because they've never heard it or been around it, sometimes they don't know like, not, not what's going on, but like they don't know the depth of what's happening because they're not involved in those conversations. Like, how do you get yourself in those conversations? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I am a really curious person and I am not shy at all about asking questions. And I will be the first to admit that I don't know anything and I think I'm smarter for it. <laughs> and so bringing that, I think, uh, especially in DC because so many theaters are open to having these conversations and talking about these things and they're also curious about our perspective. It's not difficult mm-hmm. to breach and I've had a lot of um, great mentors and what do you say I guess allies in this theater <laughs> company. <laughs> this is so strange because it just feels like uh, I don't see the race as the center of what we do here, you know? And a lot of my questions or things about me advocating for myself have to do in terms of the business, because at the end of the day, it is a business and I don't know too much about that. And so my questions stem from there, perhaps, and not so much around where or how I fit as a Black woman because that just is there's no changing that and I have no interest in convincing anyone of anything about that or explaining anything about that or breaching any questions about that you know what I'm saying no I definitely get that yeah that is what it is and it's not going to change honey okay (laughs) (laughs) a beautiful young black thing to the day she die okay Um, okay, then that brings up a question of what's the most uh, useful thing you've learned about the business side of theater since you've been in the industry? Nothing is confirmed until you sign a contract. <laughs> Bet. Okay. <laughs> that was really probably one of the first lessons I learned. When I booked um, my first show, I was still in school. I hadn't yet graduated. And mm-hmm. it was a major theater in the DMV. And I was so thrilled, obviously, because hello, I'm going to be working when I get out of school. And I went for another show and I auditioned for it. And I knew the casting director. She was amazing. And I let her know, like, sorry, I'm already booked for a show at this time slot, but I'm still going to audition because, you know, respect. And she was like, well, 
you know it's not really official until you sign a contract, right? And I was like, hmm, didn't know that, but thank you, good to know. <laughs> and I ended up getting that role as well and was split in a decision where I had to choose. And mm-hmm. I felt terrible because, oh my gosh, this is my first professional show and they're going to hate me if I'm going to have to leave because I really wanted to do this other show, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to hate me and they're never going to want to work with me again. And, you know, at the end of the day, after a couple, you know, back and forth, they were both putting in their their picks. It was so stressful. Oh, my gosh. But the main takeaway is remember not to take things personally. It is a business. And, of course, um, read your contract. And it's not official until you sign it. Yeah. Hmm. Do you have an agent? I do now. Yes. Oh. Yes. Okay. So, what made you what made you de- uh, decide that you needed an agent, and then how'd you go get an agent? Well, that was sort of the plan because, as far as I knew, in order to get into bigger rooms and um, into broader audiences, you needed mm-hmm. an agent to get in those doors, or you needed to be in terms of stage work you needed to be equity and Mm -hmm. that was just another blessing that came along with doing Fairview is that I got my um, equity based off that contract and so auditioning at least was easier I started making trips to New York more frequently actually being able to get into audition rooms at that point and my agent just came in the past during COVID in the past couple months, he's in LA. So he's focusing on TV film for me and things are rather slow or they have been this past month. Wow. have picked up. I'm like, damn, I'm low key sick of doing these self tapes. (laughs) (laughs) I love being in the room, you know, and just feeling Mm -hmm. energy and letting it bounce off the walls and off the people and, you know, but I'm beginning some really fun ones for that. I got some callbacks. Fingers crossed for me, y'all. Okay, okay. On, you know, your primetime TV. Fingers crossed. Um, But I always knew at some point that would be a part of the process just to um, broaden where I could go and what doors I could get into and who I could be seen by. And he came along by an amazing instructor I had, Howard Kramakush who lives in LA. Mm, oh. Yeah. Did you ever meet Kush? I never have, but I've heard his name tossed about in many a room. Oh man, you should. You two would certainly get along. Oh. Um, but yeah, I think they were friends and they were talking about students and showed my video and he was excited to talk. And at that point it was during COVID. So I wasn't expecting too much to happen. I was just really curious and wanted to, to know a couple things about that side of the world and the industry well, mm-hmm. because I expected TV and film to be a little bit later down the line. I was like, just let me live on stage and in theater just a little bit longer. I had planned <laughs> this past summer to move to New York um, with Ooh. hopes of this, you know, living out this, okay, a little bit more stage life. And then once I get my agent, boom, I can be on TV and film. And then, you know, that whole mm-hmm. shebang. But, you know, just looking at how things are going, it's just a smarter move to 
not delay. <laughs> Jump in now while we got it. Right. Yeah. Well, congratulations on your agent and congratulations on those prospective primetime TV spots. Fingers crossed hey. indeed. Yes, thank hey. you. <laughs> so you mentioned that you were making uh, trips up to New York at, at one point in time. So how, in your experience, how does like the New York theater scene and DC theater scene differ? And like, do you have to do anything different? Like what's the, what's the vibe? In terms of auditioning? Yeah. In terms of auditioning. Um, DC is far more lax. Is it lax? I mean, no, because I guess either way, there's the same sort of angst you feel walking into a room of waiting auditionees. Mm-hmm. So that's never really going to change. But the auditions I went to in New York were in the equity building and I just remember feeling really friggin' lucky that I was equity at that point because Mm -hmm. I went up a couple times beforehand when I wasn't and I didn't get seen I was waiting literally all day and I would book one ways and then hopefully just you know book a flight or book a bus ticket by the time I'm out and I would just be there all day waiting for a love to get ball. in. Uh, yeah. It was terrible. And at least here in DC <laughs> where the, <laughs> at least here in DC where the crowd is a bit smaller, there's a yeah, there's a bigger chance that you'll be seen. And especially once you make an impression, you definitely have a bigger chance of being called in personally for things which is, you know, the sweet spot, right? Where, you know, a casting director or someone is familiar enough with your work to just email you and reach out and ask you to come in. That is where you want to be. But until then, you go to those open calls early, as early as you can, so you can get in and get out, be prepared and show your best work, okay? Come with that good energy I know you have. And just what do you do? There's always so much like nervousness and angst walking into those rooms either way. And I always sit somewhere off to a corner to the side because I'm like, I don't need nothing on me, please. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, this is a question I want to ask, but this is a great segue. So one thing I think that people in entertainment industry forget is that we deal with a lot more rejection than the average person. Like, the average person, you get rejected every now and then. But, like, in acting, it's every, it's essentially every time you go in for an audition, you, you're more likely to get rejected than to get hired. And that's just, like, a thing that happens. So, in an uh, interview that's so... <laughs> hey, you're laughing, but it's true. <laughs> but, um... It's different just because the... I'm sorry to cut you off, but the rejection is low-key worse because at least in real life, when you're rejected, you're told pretty shade off, like, no, it's not going to happen. The rejection mm-hmm. for us is just completely not hearing back at all. So you're just... Yeah, you're just straight radio silence. And no, nothing. It's terrible. It really is. It's disrespectful. But in an industry that deals so heavily with rejection, how do you preserve your um, sense of self-image and your own sense of self-worth? Oh, man. I go into auditions. I like to sit for a little bit. I get there super early. And a yeah. lot of it is in the preparation for me. And it's in the upkeep of self 
you know, beyond the craft and what we do in terms of going in these auditions and work, it's really about the care and work that I put in to my own being. Um, yeah, that really feeds into my acting as well. It gives such a place of security to work from when you can be secure in who you are or where you are at least. Um, who you are is such a loaded question, right? But at least where you are, if you're at peace with that, then, I mean, there's nothing to sway you from it. There's no one that can tell you you're not when you know that you are. Um, another big part of that or in terms of my general upkeep of not being bogged down by the failures and the callbacks I didn't get are treating myself after the auditions. So like I'll walk in, feel good, go in there, let it all out however I feel it needs to be let out. And as soon as I walk away, whatever sides I have, go away. I don't need this anymore. It's done. I've put it in the past. You know what I'm going to do too? I am going to go get some ice cream or I'm going to go buy myself a meal or I'm going to go get my nails done. Something that says you did it. No matter what they say or have to think about it, you went in there and you did your thing, okay? And that's a pat on the back just for that, okay? Appreciate yourself at all times. I think my body, I do a nice stretch sometimes. Like, just thank you, body, for being in there. You know, I might sit down with my journal. Journaling is, oh, I talk. But when I can't talk to someone else, I'll just talk to myself in my journal and write it down. So, <laughs> journaling. It works. <laughs> it, it works like magic. And it sucks that, you know, at least in school, we had to do journaling quite a bit and it was mm -hmm. a task and homework and so there was a period in time where I was like Ugh, I'm not journaling I can't stand this but you know what <laughs> you do it from a place of um, real progression and uh, self-documentation it's really helpful incredibly um, inspiring especially by what you discover just from writing out what you're thinking and what's on your mind Super mm -hmm. helpful. Mm -hmm. um, it is. I started journaling this week, and it is. It's. It makes you feel lighter. It's nice. Um, yeah. One thing, yeah. One thing that um kind of ha keeps popping up every now and then is the uh, ever-present COVID nineteen. Uh, so we don't know how it's going to affect theater, but we know that it's going to affect theater in a way that um is going to be pretty massive. So, what are you doing to sort of prepare for a post-COVID theater world? praying oh yeah <laughs> i'm praying and i'm preparing myself there are lots of innovative things that are happening as covid is already tremendously sort of crippling the theater as we once knew it mm -hmm. and i'm trying to it's really upsetting because the thought of either not going to see a show live in the full experience, you know, having all the chatter behind you and 
hearing and seeing all the expressions of what's happening mm-hmm. or not being on stage and feeling a full packed out sold out show like that just it's it's a different experience okay being on stage is mm-hmm. one thing being on stage in a sold out show is a whole other beast and it's an amazing thrill and feeling and so it hurts my heart a bit but um I'm I don't know I don't know <laughs> it's nothing and my mind still can't really wrap around the fact that it's going to change it as dramatically as I'm as I'm sure it will but mm-hmm. I'm still you know finding my way through that or how that looks yeah Hmm. I have thought about and it's been haunting me for a bit now to do it's not live theater in the sense of going to the theater and sitting down in this auditorium of sorts and watching but more so like public live art exhibits where I've been writing these like mini monologues and having this idea of just going and saying them and talking to random people on the street about it and Hmm. you know that's live theater yeah that is live theater audience performer it's it yeah yeah and sort of mini series uh what is it like a art or exhibit sort of way i'd watch it (laughs) thanks let me put you in the corner (laughs) one day yeah thank, i would love that <laughs> <laughs> okay so that's your response for like a post-covid theater world what are you doing currently in a covid theater world i know that you've done projects like the roundhouse theaters homebound which is about uh covid life um but like could you one talk to us about that and talk to us about how that was uh filming that remotely and then also talk about what else you're doing in this uh in this covid time yeah yeah homebound was great that was earlier on in this sort of COVID quarantined world and man Roundhouse is amazing they sent somebody over to drop off this full package of equipment for lighting and sound and setting stuff and we zoomed through the entire time with the director and the lighting sound guy and of course Mm -hmm. the other actors and it worked (laughs) it really wasn't an issue at all and although it didn't feel like theater of course it was the best mode that we could do and I'm really proud of that work actually because it was so early on a in the COVID um, scene of trying to create theater in this world and at the quality it was done at it was amazing I've done a couple other readings through zoom and um working with new plays i did a reading with the the national new play exchange and the kennedy center working with um the hand-picked playwrights on pieces that they were developing and there's a world in theater of working on new and still in process developing plays that Mm -hmm. even through zoom felt like i was back in the theater 
you know it felt like okay this is this is a bit of that innovation that I need to spark my love of theater and what I'm losing here um but yeah a couple of readings uh I'm I'm writing a one-person show but it doesn't look like it'll be theater much at all oh it's gonna be like a film web series a film a short Okay. Yeah, that's, what that's I'm, interesting. That's what I'm thinking. Could you tell it's us what it's about? Shape, oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's about a bit of everything <laughs> at this point. It's a lot of brain dump on mm-hmm. pages and lots of excerpts from my journal. Um, lots of just random writings and thoughts and words and voices that I hear come to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah yeah I'll say that (laughs) okay okay well I I look forward to that I look forward to that as well um so we're round we're winding down but I want to give you this one question before our last question so take a moment close your eyes if you want to but think about little China little China Palmer maybe like five ten years old maybe that (laughs) uh China Palmer who was being congratulated for her performance of Miss Hannigan what do you think that kid version of you would say if they saw you right now? You're doing it. <laughs> You're doing it. It's crazy because even in taking this interview with you, part of me felt like, am I in the position to be talking about, you know, all of this and giving this sort of what will be influence and advice to someone I'd hope am I you know in the position to do that and very quickly I thought yes because you're doing it and you're living Mm -hmm. it and you know you haven't gotten here by not working and by not um, fulfilling your purpose here um it's been really important for me as a young kid. I mean, I've always been rather um, sparky and active <laughs> in terms of dancing and singing. And uh, it was always sort of destined that I would be a performer of some sort. And being the only one in my family with this sort of endowment and seeing so much of them really working to keep us all afloat and keep us happy and not necessarily following a dream, but, you know, doing what we got to do to get by and make sure that we're solid. And I feel incredibly, incredibly blessed to really be following through with a dream and to be seeing it piece by piece come to life. And I feel that beyond my doing of it personally for me, that it's important that I do it for my family and for all of the working class Black people out here who are trying to get by and not putting what they love to do first or what they truly feel not doing what they feel, but doing what they have to do to survive. And I, I'm, um, 
yeah, I'm blessed to be in this purpose and I'm just happy that I'm actually doing it and following through. Yeah. Hmm. Little China would be proud of me. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad that little China would be proud of you. And I'm glad that you feel that you're blessed and you're glad to be where you are right now because you are clearly on your way to success. You're doing all these wonderful things. You're sitting on new plays. You're doing the self-tape circuit for television and film. You're really doing it, China. So I want to know, how will you know when you've made it? Have I not? Okay. (laughs) Part of me feels like, oh gosh, what's the pressure of like, oh, being on a red carpet or winning an award. I feel like I, I have and am making it. I've worked with amazing incredible artists and collaborated to bring to life a piece of work that I believe in and that is impactful Mm -hmm. and that is rooted in love and I made it I made it I want to keep going that's um (laughs) that's certainly part of this journey and aspiration for me Mm -hmm. to keep doing it but every day and it feels like really cheesy saying this out loud now, but, <laughs> <laughs> but living life um, the way I am and in purpose, the way I feel I am, it feels like I'm making it. And my dad says all the time, like, you're doing it, baby. You're doing it. And I'm like, you know, that keeps me <laughs> driven enough. That keeps me um, eager to what's ahead. I don't, Mm -hmm. as Virgo as I am in my nature and planning things out and setting a schedule for everything, in terms of this life path and where I'm going, you know, I'm I'm here for the ride. I'm here for the journey. (laughs) But I'm doing what I'm doing. And, you know, I think I'm making it. Certainly. It'd be beautiful, I must say, to be... A writer, director, producer, and actress of my own thing—that'd be another, mm-hmm. another big step. But you know, every day we're making it. All right, wonderful. So, could you tell the people where they can find you? Yeah, look on Instagram, China C H I N N A. Thank you, to N Dot Palmer. Uh, I'm really not on there much. I'm not much of a social media gal. Other than that. Hit me up. Email me sometime. China Palmer at Yahoo. I love to chat. And you've just finished listening to the last episode in On Their Way's bonus season. On Their Way was created, hosted, and edited by me, Jade Madison Scott. The theme was composed by Bajo Alvarado, and the logo was created by Amaka Corey. If you want to support us financially, consider buying our merchandise, which you can do by going to our website, wgcproductions.com. Personally, I'm going to buy an on-the-way sweatshirt in black after I finish recording this, so feel free to hop on that bandwagon. If you want to stay in contact and see what we're getting up to, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WithGoodCo. We'd love to hear what you think, so slide us a DM or a comment. Lastly, transcripts for the episode are also on our website, wgcproductions.com, under the On Their Way tab. Alrighty, I hope you guys have plenty of black-eyed peas and collard greens this New Year's Day. See you February 19th with Season 2. And remember to be kind to yourself.